Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 566, for Sunday, August 16th, 2015. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We share it all here like car talk for Apple geeks, or even perhaps even better to say car talk for Apple users, because, hey, you can come here and learn how to be a geek just like us. Sponsors for this episode include Linda at LYNDA.com slash MGG. You can get access to 10 days of free training videos. We'll talk more about that shortly here. Barebones software at barebones.com, makers of the fine text editor BB Edit, which we'll talk a little bit more about. And of course, Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. We'll talk about some of their stuff, including some great refurbs that they've got available right now here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. So we have some audio issues to talk about here. First and foremost, uh, I wanted to let all of you know that if you got a copy of Mac Geek Gab 565, so the, the show just prior to this one, uh, that cut out at the 21 minute mark ish, just redownload it. Something happened in the propagation of of one of the files uh, and and for whatever reason. Uh, that happened to it, but the, the data is all there. We didn't lose anything. We just sent out a version that, that missed some stuff. So just go redownload it and you're good to go. And then John F. Braun, uh, you had, we're going to do a little bit of podcast geek gab, I think here this morning, because you emailed me very, very, very late last night with, uh, with a potentially potential disaster for today's show. It was a disaster. So, um, yeah, last night I was uh, gaming. I like to uh, uh, I like to uh, play uh, Team Fortress Two. Nice. So I was you know playing a little. You know, it's a nice collaborative game and it's free and uh, and it's fun. And I I have that installed in my mini on my podcasting machine, and you know it can handle the graphics. And I was just playing along, and you know you can uh, both hear, of course, and you can also interact with other players to use the mic. And all of a sudden, I heard this terrible, terrible. <laughs> that was terrible and i was like that's not good and then all of a sudden i couldn't hear anything and i couldn't hear myself either which i normally can with uh the, with the board that i have here uh and i looked over at the board and i'm like hmm that's not good so uh so this board has uh level lights that show the uh, level of either the you know the incoming or the outgoing audio and those weren't doing anything and then even weirder and it, it just went into failure mode right now it has this board has a little equalizer and it has little leds on each of the frequencies that you can use to adjust and three of them were off and four of them were on and i'm like well that's never done that before <laughs> it sounds like uh it, i mean it's sort of ironic that you know at the end of mac Geek cap 565 we were talking about how uh, it doesn't matter how advanced our electronics are pretty much everything comes back to relying on capacitors these days and it sounds like the capacitors in your power supply which is internal on this yeah you know, it's a behringer what 12 channel mixer mixer i think and it um 
it's 10 years old. We've been using it basically since the beginning of Mac Geek Gab, and it sounds like those caps, or at least some of them, have uh, started to fade, <laughs> for lack of a better uh, yeah. description. So, um, so you know, I you know did basic troubleshooting. So I uh, right now I have the cables running. Uh, you know, both the headphone out and the line out on the Mac Mini are running into this board. So I'm like, okay, well, let's eliminate it. Let's make sure that it's the board. So, you know, I plugged headphones directly in. I could hear stuff. Um, I didn't test the uh, the line in, but I did test, uh, I did plug in another mic and I verified that, you know, the Mac itself was, you know, picking up uh, uh, the input circuit seemed to be working. Sure. So I, I did that, though I was almost certain that it was the board. Um, right. Oddly enough, and this right. is what happens with, you know, these analog issues here, then, you know, so I shut the thing down, you know, went off to do something else and, you know, cry and <laughs> <laughs> shake my fist. And then I came back, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 30 minutes later and I turned the board on and everything was great. And I'm like, oh, it was just, you know, a temporary glitch. Mm-hmm. But no. Well, it's, it's I, true. I, it was a temporary glitch. Yeah. It's just becoming more and more temporary. <laughs> Yeah, and everything's working great for about five minutes, and then uh, no doubt due to uh, heat or a thermal issue, uh, whatever is failing in there failed again. So it's yep. like, okay, board's dead. Yeah. So um, I mean, and you could, you know, we talked about this in the last show, but you could crack it open and and probably yeah. identify the capacitors that are failing and and replace them. Um, but you know the like the board is ten years old. It it doesn't really owe us anything. Um, it it had a nice long run, and and now it's just time to replace it. The nice part, so it it now we can talk a little bit about um, a replacement for it. The the nice part about your particular setup is that it's it is entirely analog in that it's using the digital to analog and analog to digital converters on board in your Mac. And while there are quality related reasons that one might want to use outboard uh, ADC or, or DACs, the way that you would plug those in is typically USB. And as longtime listeners of this show know, USB audio starts to get really inconsistent um, after a while, which is why we've gone back to Firewire here in, in my end of the studio. For what you're doing there, John, because you're not sending lots of stuff in and out, you basically have one signal out and one signal in, uh, and you're not doing any weird monitoring or anything like I am here, it probably would work okay for you. But um, And we may head you down the path of having a, a USB mixer. Um, oh. Well, there, there's, right, I mean, there, there's, things have changed in the last 10 years. That There's these Yamaha mixers. I, I tested them. I don't have one here anymore, unfortunately. Uh, otherwise, I'd send it to you. But uh, Yamaha has the AG series mixers, which are USB, but have a pretty cool thing. Uh, they, they have an input and an output from the mixer, and you can, you can sort of control whether the inputs are coming direct from each channel or coming as the sum of all the channels, which is handy or, and then the output, and this is sort of what's unique to this mixer. The output from your Mac can actually be routed to a channel on the mixer. So for example, in fact, for exactly what we're doing here, you could have my Skype signal 
coming out and and then it would go into a fader directly without having to do weird cabling and all of that stuff like like we've done uh, in the past so um the, these ag mixers are pretty cool um you know it's uh it's fun but Me? but yeah but at the same time uh, you know bringing you to something very similar to what you have like the the behringer um like the xenix uh, 10,000 uh yeah 10,002 I guess is what, what it would be called. Um, you know, it's 70 bucks and it's, it's basically what you've got now with just less channels and, and that's okay. You know, you don't need okay. all the channels that that yeah. one has. So, so then mild panic set in because I'm like, what uh-oh. am I going to do for the show? And I should, and I should listen to my own advice. The thing is, uh, so the mic that I normally use, the uh, very nice Heil PR40, which uh, a lot of the cool podcast kids uh, use, and I think you're using as well, Dave. I am. Um, yep. That has an XLR connector on it, and I do not have any way to plug that into my my Mac Mini. Correct. So, yeah, the uh, Mac does, so not then, have a, does not really have a, a microphone preamp. It actually does, but not in an easy-to-use way. Yeah. So then I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? So I looked in my pile of goodies, and uh, fortunately, and this is why um, you should hoard things, (laughs) (laughs) right? Sure. (laughs) Um, But I was looking in my pile of goodies, because both of us, Dave, uh, you know, based on what we do, just have pile of goodies that people would like us to look at. And fortunately, Dave, uh, so what I am talking on right now, so I am actually doing USB audio. I am now talking on... Uh, uh, I found, uh, which I think is was the best solution at the time, and this seems to be working, is the blue uh, snowball, I believe is what, uh, what I'm on right now. And it actually screws into my mic stand, which is nice. Um, but the nature of the mic is that it, it is a, uh, a different type of mic, but it seems that you, uh, you adjusted things on your end so that... Um, you sound it pretty be good. Too obvious. Yeah, it's it's a little um, boxy, for lack of a better term. It's not terrible. We've got we've I'm running a couple of EQs on it, and we've got a noise gate on it because those mics tend to be very active in terms of picking up background noise. But um, but we may do, and 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 obviously it sounds fine. In fact, my guess is if we hadn't said anything, few of you would have noticed. I bet some of you would have for sure. Uh, but but you know the show goes on. Um, so yeah. And, and what's really ironic, John, is I have a box that arrived while I was away this week with, uh, some new microphones from blue, specifically the encore, uh, mm. USB mics, which I really want to check out. And, um, and actually I, I, I may be speaking at a turn. I don't know what's in the box. I haven't opened it yet because I just got it and just got back. But I actually the uh, the encores I don't believe are USB. The, the, in fact, I know they're not. The encores are just XLR mics like your Heil. But I think they also sent me an Icicle, which is a um, essentially what you were looking for, John. The XLR to to USB sort of inline. I mean, it's more than an adapter. It's a it's a microphone preamp and a USB uh, digital or analog to digital converter. Um, but uh, I believe one of those is in there too. And that, that would have been a good thing for you to have around. Um, you know, now, it's funny. We've been doing this 10 years. We've never really actively thought about 
doing a um, having a backup setup for you. I I I have had and needed to have a backup setup here. My mixer died last summer, right? And I and the same thing. The power supply went, and actually, I had the caps rebuilt on it, and it was fine. But uh, we, for whatever reason, neither one of us ever thought, "Hey, you know, you should have a backup too," because this is going to happen. Um, but, um, so now we'll get you there. So the, the, the trick would be to have something like the blue icicle, obviously having the, the, the snowball works great for you. Uh, one of my favorite USB microphones these days is the audio technica 2005 USB. It's very similar to the audio technica 2100 USB. They are both USB microphones, but are dynamic mics. And, uh, and that is, uh, it, it, it's fantastic. They sound great. I've used them when podcasting on the road. Um, what's really nice about them is they have bi-directional audio. So you can plug uh, your headphones into a jack on the microphone. And then that allows you to hear yourself because the microphone automatically sends its own signal out the headphones and then whatever you pump to it. So you would, you know, point Skype at it and then you'd be able to hear yourself like you're used to hearing. So, and those are, you know, like 60 or 70 bucks. They're, they're super cheap and, and good to have as a backup. And they also make great travel setups because it's sort of all in one. You get the microphone, two cables and uh, a stand and a little pouch for, for the whole thing. And it all fits in the pouch. So I just have that pouch and I bring it with me whenever I need to oh, podcast on the road. That. Yeah. Oh, neat. Yeah. So digital and analog. Correct. That's right. That has XLR and USB on it. That's right. Yeah. So we, yeah, it's a, it's a cool little, it's a cool little setup. So, uh, so the only difference now, and you, you, you showed me how to do this. The only difference now is that the, before I would hear myself in my uh, headphones, right. Cause you know, it was going through the board. Now I'm not you, you actually, we did a quick and dirty uh, audio hijack pro recipe uh, but it, it kind of, I wasn't happy with it because there, there was a ever so slight delay, which is what I'm not used to. You, 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 you tell me that you're used to it. Yeah. Is that there's a, you know, very slight delay, but I, I, ju- I just found it too distracting. Yeah. We essentially um, routed your USB audio from your mic into your ears, which are coming out of the headphone jack on your Mac. And, and yeah, it, there's always going to be some level of delay because it's going through all these, you know, the converters and, and such. So yeah, it can be a little weird, but once you get used to it, it's actually fine. So. All right. But, yeah. uh, we made it. <laughs> we, well, so far so good. Let's, uh, let's see how we do. Right. I, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Linda at lynda.com slash MGG. Linda makes some of the most fantastic training videos I've ever seen. And, you know, let's be honest, there's all kinds of training video options all over the internet, right? But nobody produces them the way Linda does. It's, it's not, it's a, it's a different class. It's almost just a different thing. Although it's fair to say that, you know, you can go to YouTube and find some dude telling you how to do something and they'll probably tell you correctly, maybe, but it's not produced. Well, that's the difference here with Linda. They actually come at it from the standpoint of teachers, right? They are trained instructors. A lot of the people that create Linda videos 
are teachers for a living at, at universities, right? Or, or professional instructors that go around and, and teach classes and sem- seminars and sessions. Whoever they are, these people are trained to do exactly this. Combine that with, combine this fantastic teacher with Linda's production team. And yeah, I said a team. These videos are massively well-produced, right? Not only does the video look great, they have course materials that come along with it. They have a transcript of everything the person says, and, and you can kind of follow along with that. So if there's a word you missed, you can just go right back. You can pause things at chapter marks, or you can have it continue through. It's kind of nice when I'm taking a course with, through Linda. I, what I like to do is you know, pause at the end of a chapter and then kind of go back on my own. And, and if it's like a programming thing, I'll go and, and, and tinker around with it. If it's, uh, you know, I've taken actually some accounting courses and some business courses. I got into business without really ever having uh, any formal training. And a lot of stuff you pick up along the way, obviously, and uh, so far so good. But it's good to expand your knowledge base. So I've taken some, some management uh, training uh, courses and things like that. Stuff that just doesn't come naturally to me. And, uh, I I mean, these people, first of all, like I said, the people teaching this stuff are absolutely fantastic. They totally know what they're doing and you do it at your own pace. So, you know, I might do two or three chapters and then, Oh, I got to go take a meeting or a call or whatever. I come back to it a couple hours or even a couple of days later. And it's right where I left off. And you know, the nice part is with Linda subscription, I can go and start on my Mac and then, uh, I can resume later on my iPhone and some courses like the, you know, business management stuff is easy to do up from the iPhone. It's no big deal. You know, if you're training on Photoshop, maybe you'd want to do it on your Mac because you get to see a full Photoshop window there. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll take my iPad, which is a little bit bigger screen. And uh, for something like it, you know, Photoshop or just really any kind of software training, I'll have the course on my iPad. And then on my Mac, I'll actually be running the software that I'm learning so I can sort of play along with it. And the best part is I can tell the teacher to pause. And so can you, you got to check this out. Linda.com slash MGG does two things. Number one, it tells them where you came from and we appreciate that. And so do they number two. And this is what's in it for you. Linda.com L Y N D A.com slash MGG gets you 10 free days of Linda's training videos. After that, it starts at 25 bucks a month and that 25 bucks a month gets you access to the entirety of Linda's constantly updated library. Got to check it out. L Y N D a.com slash M G G with that, John, let's go to Hunter Hunter writes. I'm running into a weird issue with my Gmail account on my phone. I'm the first to admit that this might be a Gmail problem and not an iPhone problem. Every few days, I haven't checked the exact frequency interval. The messages in my Gmail account disappear from the mail app on the phone. The first time it freaked me out. After that, I discovered that the mail resynced, pulling down everything from Google server and my data was back. If I need a message right away, this could be a problem. I also see it as a potential problem uh, to process through all of my data in the rare moments that I am not near Wi-Fi. To be fair, my phone is running the iOS 9 public data, public beta. Thanks for any thoughts you might have. So, um, it, you know, we're in the world of people running public beta, so that's okay. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned what, o, what OS your phone's running. Um, there are going to be some things that you run into that are because it's a beta. And regardless, I recommend you report this to Apple using the feedback mechanism that they have. But 
I don't think your problem is a problem with Apple's public beta. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's a, this constant sort of long standing issue that Apple has or iOS has with, with Gmail or Gmail has with, with iOS. I see very similar things uh, a lot. The iPhone keeps a cache of a, every mail account on it. And that cache persists even if you delete the account at, at, at times, which is really bizarre. So, but that would be the first thing, right? Get yourself on Wi-Fi, go into your phone, go to settings, mail contacts, calendars, and just delete this account and re-add it. That might help to, to kind of rejigger things and get things back in, uh, back in action, I guess is, is the right, the right way to say it. Uh, but that might not do it. The way it stores these caches is by server address. So sometimes it helps to change the server address. And here's the thing. Here's the little secret about Gmail. There are two servers you can use for Gmail. IMAP.gmail.com is your inbound server. And of course, the, the, the outbound server, smtp.gmail.com. That's what they tell you to use. I can't use those on my phone these days because of whatever that cache is that lives out there. So I use the alternate, which is imap.googlemail.com. And then, of course, on the outbound, if you want, you can use smtp.googlemail.com. The outbound doesn't matter quite as much, but the inbound definitely does. So try changing your inbound server name to imap.googlemail.com. It means you have to set up your Gmail account as a standard IMAP and not just a straight Gmail account, but that tends to work better anyway. And that might be your issue here and might help solve your issue here. So that's my, that's my little secret uh, trick for solving Gmail problems. I don't know. That's my thought. What do you think, John? I'm wondering if it could. Yeah. I'm wondering if it could be an issue in the, uh, in the beta. And I'll tell you why I think that, Dave. Because Apple recently released a uh, OS update. You may have noticed. So uh, 10.10.5, which uh, if you're listening to this, you've probably downloaded and installed that. But one of the things that they fixed, Dave, uh, I always love the way they, uh, <laughs> they phrase these. Um, this update improves compatibility with certain email servers when using mail. <laughs> Well, yeah, but this is, we're talking iOS here. No. Yeah, I understand. Okay. All right. Okay. But I'm still wondering if it's a, you know, an OS related thing, but you know, as you said, yeah, report it through the, uh, you know, report it through the process. Yeah. It could be a, it could be a hiccup in the, in the iOS implementation though. Yeah. I mean, Gmail is IMAP, but not really IMAP. So exactly it could be that too. Yeah. That their implementation is, is going to always be kind of broken. <laughs> but unfortunately, yes, that, that, that's, that's correct. Yeah. It's, um, and, and like I said, you know, these, this caching thing, I, I am not running the iOS nine beta on my phone. I am running it on my iPad and have had no problems with uh, connecting to Gmail there for, for what that's worth. Um, but the, my phone is the one that, that, um, pretty regularly, you know, I have to either change it from imap.gmail.com to imap.googlemail.com or sometimes change it back. But when I change it back, I can see it picks up the cache that was there before uh, when it first loads it. It's a really a mess. 
Uh, we've got some folks in the chat room here at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Hello. Uh, helping with this, Kiwi Graham says it might be a cash space issue and uh, also says that a large inbox will trigger this issue. So if you tend to keep a lot of things in your inbox, stop doing that. Uh, that it, it's really not a good thing for a lot of male clients. Uh, some will handle it better than others. Some servers will handle it better than others, but really, uh, you know, moving things out of your inbox. And if you get a lot of stuff in your inbox and, and you don't want to have to actively manage it quite as much, I highly, highly recommend a service called SaneBox. Um, I've been using SaneBox for a couple of years now and I, I couldn't possibly live without it. I will, um, I will, uh, I'll put a link to actually I'll put a link to a little thing in the show notes. I think they've got a referral deal. So if you sign up, I get, I get a little something and I think you get a little something too. So I will, um, I will put the little invite link in the show notes and we'll, we'll go from there. So it's fun stuff. This same box thing, what it does is it, it parses through your inbox and, um, filters your mail into other IMAP mailboxes. Uh, it creates, you know, like a, a sane news folder. So it takes all of your news subscriptions and, and mailing lists and puts that in one place. It takes, uh, it takes things that aren't a huge priority, like receipts and things like that, and puts it into a different mailbox. Uh, and it, and then of course, it's all it will it, it sort of has some automatic rules but if you if you want say a receipt from Amazon to come straight to your inbox that's important to you you don't want it to be put in say the same later folder where it's going to automatically put it all you have to do is take one of those receipts and drag it back to your inbox and boom everything that matches that in the future will now just go straight to your inbox that's how you train it uh, and vice versa if you want something to go to this you know one of the same later boxes or something you just move it to that box and that trains it it's it's actually pretty cool. So you got to check out SaneBox. That, uh, that might help you keep your inbox under. Under wraps. All right, John. We're moving on here. You want to take us to Allie? I can do that. Sweet. And Allie writes, Hi, guys. I have a mid-2012 MacBook Pro. And I've just replaced the hard drive with an SSD crucial, whatever. Um, but sure. replace it with an SSD. I won't read out the model number. <laughs> when I shut the lid, the laptop goes into sleep mode. But after a long period of time, such as overnight, it seems that my laptop turns off because the pulsing light on the front of the MacBook stops lighting up. I then open the lid of my laptop, then plays the noise that I have attached to this email. Is this normal behavior? Because I don't remember doing this when I had the original hard drive installed. I can play that noise for you. Hang on. That's the noise. You want to hear it one more time and then we'll, then we'll move on. All right, there you go. And I know what that noise is, but some of you may not because this is uh, somewhat now antiquated technology. <laughs> Um, that's the DVD drive um, when you first apply power to it. Uh, just exercising the mechanism or, or something. Yeah, it's not. But that's what that noise is. It's not ejecting anything because there's nothing in it, but it does sound like it's going through that ejection process. 
perhaps just to prime the drive if you were to to put something into it afterwards. Or maybe it's to just scan the drive to see if there's something's been put in while the system's been asleep. Right. Um, Whatever it is, it's normal. Because, so I have the same, that same machine, Mm. 2012 MacBook Pro, and my machine does the same thing. I think what happens though, because no, it, 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 it is, I'll agree that it's unusual behavior because the, the light should continue to, to pulse when the machine's asleep. And I've noticed this too. So I think it may be either something that they changed in the OS or something they changed in, in the hardware where at some point I think it goes into like kind of like a deeper sleep mode. Um, but the thing is, uh, you know, it's not shutting off because I asked. And the thing is, I mean, if you if you open the lid, so if you hear that sound, but then you get the login screen, I mean, typically when you wake the machine, or at least if you have it set up that way, it should, you know, it should immediately bring you to either the desktop or it should prompt you for a password if you set it up that way, which I think you should. Right, right. Um, but I was like... All right, so check this out, though, just to make sure that everything is uh, in order. Um, check your machine's sleep or hibernate setting. And how do you do this? Well, you want to go into the terminal. Do not be afraid of the terminal. And you then want to type PM set space dash G. And that'll give you a whole list of power management settings. And you'll see a hibernate mode value. On portables, that value should be 3. And Allie got back to us and said, yes, it's three. So I'm convinced that everything is right in Allie's world as far as the way the machine is behaving. As PST Junkie says in the chat room, it's just the machine mechanizing the exorcism. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Mac Tech Freak in the chat room has a great suggestion, though, and that is... If you're not using that DVD drive and it's and chances are, if you are unaware of what that sound is, it means you haven't put a DVD in and ejected one in quite some time or a CD, you know, any kind of optical media. Um, If you get an OptiBay, you can pull that drive out and put an OptiBay in, uh, which is a bracket, essentially, that allows you to mount a hard drive in the spare now empty media drive bay and you get two drives inside of your macbook pro so that that can be a great way to to um to make use of of the thing that you're just not using anymore so so there I you still go. use mine you yeah I, I, my, my guess is yeah i mean some people do and and you're one of them but um but it, my guess is ali is not just based on the fact that this was a, there was no other reference for this sound for uh, him or her. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not sure if, if this is, that's Alistair. So it's a, it's a him. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I kind of chuckled because I'm like, Oh, I know what that's. I know what is. that is. But uh, yeah. yeah, some, some people may not. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, our second sponsor for this show is bare bones at uh, or bare bones software, barebones.com. They make one of my can't live without it apps uh, called BB edit. BB edit is more than just a text editor, uh, but it, I mean, but it is a text editor <laughs> and I know it sounds weird to get really excited 
about a text editor, but what gets me excited is if it's not on my machine, because I go to use this thing every day. You just mentioned the terminal, John. Sometimes you're in the terminal. You want to edit a file, you know, a plist file or even just a text file. And you need to use something like, you know, Emacs or VI or Nano, right? One of these terminal centric editors, because that's where you are and that's the world you're in. Well, you don't have to if you have BB Edit. What you do is uh, when you install BB Edit, it offers to install what they call their command line tools. And one of them is simply a command line tool called BB Edit. And guess what that does? You type BB Edit and the name or path to a, uh, a file or a plist file, anything you want to edit, and you hit return, it opens that file in BB Edit in all its glory with the ability to use the mouse and the ability to use command keys and it, because it's, it's BB Edit. It just so happens that you're opening a file by way of the terminal, not by way of the finder. Really, really fantastic and makes life so much easier. So you got to check this out. They, they do some really cool things in BB Edit. Uh, some of them are very simple. Uh, at the bottom of the window, it's constantly showing you a line, word, and character count, which can be really handy. I know a lot of times, you know, especially I was doing a, a thing this week. I needed to submit something actually to StubHub. There was a, we went to some concerts this week for one of the shows I bought um, some tickets through StubHub. And I needed to report uh, a, a weird issue that, that came up. And, and their form said, you know, you've got 250 characters or whatever to, you know, to submit your thing and, or however long it was like, well, I go to BB edit and I type my issue and I realized I was, you know, 40 characters over. So I kind of edited down and, uh, and it's really nice to just be able to edit and see that there. And then I just copied what I had in BB edit, pasted it into the thing. I was able to craft a nice little thing. And actually it probably saved me quite a bit of uh of money just doing it with bb edit because i crafted a very nicely worded thing as opposed to trying to do it in a web browser where you're just typing and suddenly you hit a wall where you can't type anymore or you don't know that you've put in too many characters right and then you hit submit and then you're you know you're constantly guessing with bb edit it took the guessing out of it for me and it was immediately what i did i saw you know i had a character limit and i'm like all right great i'm gonna do this over here and uh and then i knew you know, that this finely crafted message was under whatever that limit happened to be. Also, BB Edit lets you compare two versions of the same file or two different files. Uh, you get to you get to look at both and then tell it find the differences. And it pops them up into side by side windows with a little screen at the bottom that lets you scroll through line by line and character by character. The differences in two files makes it really easy to spot changes in text files again in a graphical way that could be done at the terminal but it's a mess doing that with diff if you've ever done that you definitely want to use bb edit really fantastic stuff so you got to check this out it's all at barebones.com tell them thank you thank you for creating a great product and thank you for sponsoring mac geek uh, those folks are awesome we love them and uh, we love the product too as you can probably tell it's time to go to anthony i believe and Anthony says, I'm currently backing up my entire iTunes library. I want to try Apple Music. And since Apple Music, my Apple Music library is huge, my idea is to not turn on Apple Music on my iMac or MacBook and leave iTunes and the libraries there living in happy, sunny gardens walled off that I have cultivated. 
But on my iPhone, I want to remove any and all content I own and strictly use Apple Music. I figured the best of both worlds is that my computers at home are left alone, never to be touched by Apple Music, and my iPhone won't need any of the music content that I own because Apple Music should be able to provide me with any song that I want to listen to. What do you think of my strategy and do you see any flaws? So it's a good strategy. Obviously, some people, uh, Apple Music has been wonky for people. It's caused some people great concern. It's caused a lot of people a lot of confusion and it's worked fine for, for a lot of folks. Um, but it's a little bit weird and I totally don't blame you. In fact, I would blame you if you chose not to somehow create a backup of your library that, that would be left all untouched by Apple music. I did that. Um, and I highly recommend you do that. It's, it's the only smart move, especially as things sort of evolve here and they, they, the Apple, you know, kind of irons out some of the kinks. So yeah, your method covers that. There are other ways to do a backup, um, but your method does it. And that's fine. Um, two things. Number one, on your phone, if you want to delete music from your phone, and this is for anyone that wants to delete music from your iPhone, it's not obvious, but it's actually very simple. Uh, the easiest way to do it is go into settings, go to general. This is on your phone. So settings, general, usage, storage, manage storage. Now wait a few seconds and things will start to fill in. Tap on music. Things will be sorted by the amount of storage that they take up. So music might be at the top if you have a lot of music on your device, or it might be further down the list. Tap on music. Then when you're in there, you'll see two sections. The top says all songs, and it'll list how much space they all take up. And then you'll see by artist how much space uh, each artist takes up. If you want to wipe out everything on your phone, the simplest way to do it is to swipe left on where it says all songs and you'll get a little red delete button off to the right. That's how you delete all the music on your phone. Not obvious at all. And yet hidden right there in plain sight, sort of if you dig to the screen, <laughs> but um, really handy way to do it. So that's, that's the first thing that, that should help you and, and perhaps uh, help others here too. The other thing is Apple music doesn't have everything. So you might want to let one of your machines participate in Apple Music, one of your Macs this is, because the thing, it will match all your stuff, but the things that, and I use the term match, and I know that's loaded because you're not necessarily using iTunes Match, but what Apple Music will do is it will upload tracks that you have that aren't in Apple Music and allow you on your other devices to download and play those. So if you find, I mean, try this path that you've laid out here, but if you find that there's, you know, certain things that you just want to have uh, access to on your phone via Apple music, maybe let one of your machines participate in that and, you know, leave another one. in, like you said, your sunny walled garden, happily free from any manipulation that Apple music might make to it. So that's my thoughts on that. What do you got, John? Sounds good to me. I mean, currently I have, it enabled on all my devices, but I, like we, we discussed in the past, I, I don't think I'm going to, uh, I'm not getting a lot of value out of, out of it. So I'll probably ditch it at some point. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, if you're not a, um, if you're not using the streaming stuff out and about, uh, it's maybe, you know, I, I find it really handy. I actually really kind of like it. Um, 
I I've had Spotify, but like I said, my kids sort of took over our Spotify account. So I don't really get the option of using that, but, uh, but it's kind of nice to just have access to pretty much everything. And it, and, yeah. and there's an asterisk there with pretty much, uh, it, they don't have everything and neither does Spotify. Nobody does, but, but they have a lot of it, which is cool. So you absolutely want to do. And, you know, others have mentioned this because, uh, you know, there were reports of Apple music doing odd things. <laughs> um, I mean, I, on a fairly, you know, I don't change my music library too much, but I actually back up my iTunes folder, which, of course, is should be in your music folder. So your home directory, then I believe music, and then you're going to see a uh, folder called iTunes. And I would strongly recommend everybody back that up if you value your music. Yes. Or iTunes. Yes. It- <laughs> No, so I have totally that. Right. I have that in at least one. If and I should probably put it in at least two other locations as a backup. I have. Um, I spent a lot of time ripping. You know, all my. Uh, you know, a lot of it is stuff that I either purchased in the past or uh, or actually ripped from my CDs. And it, and it would be a shame to lose all of that. Yep. I do. I let Carbon Copy Cloner back it up every day, um, incrementally. You know, so it backs up the, the changes. And then one really nice thing about Carbon Copy Cloner is you can set it to do um, the, the term is uh, I think they call it a safe zone. I don't know. Safety net. Safety net. That's it. Thank you. It, what that does is it takes whatever has changed. So I tell it clone, you know, this, my uh, iTunes folder from here to this other drive here, I actually send it to my, my Synology and uh, it takes anything that would be changed or removed from the Synology and instead moves it to this safety net and you can set how long you want that safety net to last. You know, do you want it to be a month or do you want to set it to only hold, you know, 25 gigs of data or, you know, whatever you want it to be, you have some, some parameters there. And that's one of my favorite parts about using carbon copy cloner to do that because it really allows me to just feel safe with, with what I'm doing. And if I, if I have a problem, I can go back and, and find the data that, that might otherwise have been, have been lost. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's very good. Uh, a couple of things I'm thinking, uh, let's see. Uh, Alex does point out in the chat room that Apple music or the iCloud music library, which is the part of Apple music where I talked about it, sending the tracks that you own that they don't have up to the, the cloud. It will max out. In fact, it won't even turn on if you have more than 25,000 tracks in your library, 25,000 non-purchased tracks. So anything you've purchased from Apple does not count for that. But, uh, but other than that, it currently is 25,000. Eddie Q has said that with iOS nine's release or sometime after iOS nine's release, that that number will go up to a hundred thousand. That would be a very good thing. Cause there are quite a few people, myself included that are at 25,000. You kind of have to play a little game. So, Fun stuff, though. I really like it. Uh, You know, that's how it goes. Shall we move on to Bill? Bill, we've got a couple of tips that came through. And uh, one of them actually sort of came out of a discussion we're having with uh, an email discussion we're having with listener Bill about something completely unrelated. But uh, we were talking about how AirDrop is not all that reliable in that 
it sometimes just doesn't appear. You know, if John and I are in the same room and I want to send John something, um, in theory, I should be able to just go and say, you know, I want to send you these four pictures and in the share sheet, uh, you know, airdrop appears as one of the top options and your little face and, and name appear and I tap it and it offers to send you the pictures and you can accept them and then you take them. But a lot of times it doesn't appear. And one of the tricks we've found is that when you turn airdrop on, you should just turn it on and set it to everyone, not contacts only. Uh, because, it, and, and I've, I, so I've done two things. A, you should just leave airdrop on all the time. There's no good reason, not battery life, not anything else that I've found that would compel me to turn it off and on when I want to. Um, it's just simpler to leave it on all the time. Uh, it has not caused any battery life issues whatsoever for me. And then with that, I leave it on everyone. And that way it, it actually, even if someone's in your contacts, sometimes the contacts only filtering gets really weird with everyone there. It's more reliable. It's not perfect. Sometimes it still won't show up, but leaving it on the process of turning it on sometimes makes it not allow, you know, it to broadcast properly. It's only going to broadcast when you are, when your device is awake, that's been my experience. So if the screen is off, airdrop is not broadcasting. It's not, um, I'm not appearing there, but when uh, you wake up the device, then it's, it says I'm here. And you know what? I've been in a lot of public places where I'm sure a lot of people have airdrop capability. I have had absolutely zero people try and send me things randomly that uh, I wasn't expecting. And here's the good thing with airdrop, unless you're sending from your own devices, if you send from your own device, it will just blast it over that you, it requires no, um, uh, 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 acceptance on the, on the receiving device, right? If I wake up my phone and then I go to my iPad and I try to send a picture to my phone, it just sends it. But that's because I'm logged into the same iCloud account with both of them. But if I try to send to you or you try to send to me, John, even if we're in each other's contacts list and whatever, it's going to say to me, hey, John wants to send you four photos. Do you want to accept? And if I say yes, then it accepts them. And I've never had some random dude try and just send me whatever. It doesn't it just it just doesn't happen. So. OK, because that, that would be my one, you know, security related concern. But as you said, it, it requires you to confirm the uh, transfer. Yeah. So um, you're not going to try that more often because I see oh. people with iDevices all the time. So I, I should try randomly trying to send things to people and just see what happens. Yeah. It, dude, <laughs> it, um, it, it, what's amazing is how fast it goes and it makes sense. You know, it's, it, it uses Bluetooth, I think to find the other devices and then uses Wi-Fi ad hoc Wi-Fi. So you don't need to be on a Wi-Fi mm -hmm. network, but it uses Wi-Fi to beam the data between the two. And I, I remember we were on a bus in Disney world and I took a bunch of pictures, you know, at whatever park we were at and we were going somewhere else. And Lisa said, Hey, can you send me those? And so I did. I, I mean, I grabbed like 10 pictures or something. They were all full size pictures. And I think one of them was even a video. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll airdrop them to you. And of course, while the bus is moving, there's no Wi-Fi on the bus or anything. And I said, go. And I mean, it was over before I realized it, it went so fast. Like, Holy crap. I never realized, you know, but of course it makes sense. These are two, you know, she's got an iPhone six. I got a six plus. So it's 802.11 AC and, you know, all of that stuff. And right next to each other, man, it was like, it was blazing. It was awesome. So, 
I'm sure we can find examples of people that are abusing airdrop, but by and large, man, it doesn't happen. I've never yeah, seen well, it. Yeah, um, well, like I said, I'm, I'm going to probably test it out this afternoon. I'll go to some public places. and Sweet. Uh, you know, again, it's only on, even if you have it set for everyone, my experience is it's only on when your device is awake. So it's not like you're going to pull your thing out of your pocket and mm-hmm. say, oh, 65 people tried to send you stuff. Do you want to accept? No, it's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Jules has another cool little tip while we're at it here. As many of us know, holding down the option key when clicking on the menu bar items reveals some additional options. Holding down option while clicking on the Bluetooth icon in the menu bar shows your Bluetooth name and address. But what I've just discovered is that if you keep option while hovering over your paired devices, additional information is displayed there as well. So far, I've had two uses for this. The first is that it allows you to unpair Bluetooth devices directly from the menu bar. And the other is that it displays the output volume of a paired Bluetooth speaker. For various reasons, I've used both of these options today, and it made me think I should share with you to share with everyone. Thanks, Jules. That's killer. Yeah, I had no, I don't think I've ever done the option key on the Bluetooth menu before, which is uh, bizarre, right? I mean, why? Why have I never done that? But that's, uh, that's how it works. It's all good. Thanks for that, I don't like it. If you don't like Bluetooth? No. All right. Well, listener John was having some problems with Bluetooth too. You want to take us there? And that's why I don't like it because it's, it's caused all sorts of grief for John. All right. Oh, <laughs> Oh no. Jay. Uh, right. Yeah. Hey, John and Dave and possibly pilot Pete. So here's what John said. Nice work, by the way, John, I've got one that I've been trying to troubleshoot for six months and I just can't find the issue. Here's the problem. At random intervals in my day, my Bluetooth will stop recognizing and pairing to any Bluetooth devices. I've seen it first in my Magic Trackpad. It disconnects. Going into the Bluetooth pref shows my two devices listed, but will not pair and will not show any of the other devices in my area to pair. Uh, the system is a 5K Retina iMac. Uh, he attached a system report. Though I didn't see anything unusual in there. Uh, USB devices are a Logitech keyboard dongle, ScanSnap scanner, a USB mouse, and an iPhone charger. All right. Temporary workaround, which uh, works for an indeterminate amount of time, usually less than two hours, is to shut down the machine, remove all USB devices, start the machine, replug USB, Bluetooth, and repairs. <clears throat> and troubleshooting. Oh, my gosh. So I'm sure John is a longtime listener because he tried... <laughs> Everything that I would try. Uh, Remove Bluetooth devices. Cleared Bluetooth preferences. Logged in as a guest user. Rebooted. Cleared PRAM and SMC. Booted into safe mode. Run with only the Logitech dongle as the USB device. Uh, Reinstall the OS. Nuke and paved. Tried with a new user after after, uh, (laughs) um, nuke and pave. Went to the Genius Bar. And they in, installed a fresh OS. Replaced, then they even replaced his Mac. Oh my goodness. And he thanks customer relations for that. Wow. There was a suspicion it was a hardware issue. That, w- that, was, my, um, that was my guess. I didn't, I read the list, but I didn't, I, I, I somehow missed that line. And so I was thinking, oh, it's a hardware problem. But maybe not. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Reimported a user, retried most steps above, and have tried every developer release of 10.10.x. And he says he's stumped. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him. Well, you know, uh, I'm going to take a guess here, Dave. So I would say John has been amazingly thorough in trying to isolate it to a problem on the computer. I do not think it's a problem on the computer, Dave, necessarily. I agree. What I think it is, uh, and you have to dig to find this, I think, and this is why I shake my fist kind of at at Bluetooth and wireless in general, because wireless is kind of black magic. I mean, who knows how it works? It's, you know, electromagnetic. I mean, it's it's true. I was going to say some people know how it works, but we have theories about it. But I mean, you're right. There are things that are unexplained when in certain circumstances, right? You just don't know all of the the factors. You can't. (laughs) You can't see it. You can't see it. If you could see RF, then everything would be great. (laughs) And you can in some cases. That's right. But what I think this is, Dave, most likely is interference. Especially with Bluetooth. So here's the problem. Uh, RF devices operate on a certain frequency. Uh, The most common, now unfortunately, here's the problem with Bluetooth. Uh, Last I checked, Bluetooth operates on 2.4 gigahertz. Okay, that's nice. Here's the problem. Lots of other things operate on 2.4 gigahertz, like your microwave oven. (laughs) And other wireless things. Sure, yeah. So, Apple has a dandy article titled Wi-Fi and Bluetooth Potential Sources of Wireless Interference. I would strongly suggest. Um, and they say, here are some of the effects of interference. Uh, decrease in wireless range, decrease in data throughput, intermittent or complete loss of connection or difficulty pairing. Sounds like some of the symptoms that were mentioned. Eh? So, and then they go over here. Sources of interference, like I mentioned, there's microwave ovens and there's all sorts of other things. So I would suggest going through this list here and, um, you know, trying some of the things they suggest. I would say the biggest thing, the, the, the major things I get out of this is, one, try to get anything in your vicinity that's on 2.4 gigahertz. If you possibly can, get it off of 2.4 and put it on something else, probably 5 gigahertz, if you can. Or I, I would say just try to, you know, to confirm that it's interference, move it to a new area. And that may rule it out. So that that's my best guess as to what's going on here is that it is, in fact, not a problem with the machine, but it's a problem with your environment. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it, it, we, it's not a problem with the machine because it's happening the same with two machines. So it's either a problem with that class of machines, um, but more likely it's a problem with Bluetooth in general and whatever is in that environment. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, there was a mention here. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. So, again, in our chat room here. So, I think he, I believe uh, John mentioned that he has some USB devices. Oh, is oh, one of them USB 3? Yes. So, you would think that before they released USB 3, they would have made sure that it doesn't uh, resonate on any frequencies that are in common use. Well, yeah. they didn't. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is a known issue that USB 3 can interfere with 2.4 uh, gigahertz. 
I believe it's just 2.4 gigahertz devices. Because again, one of the resonance frequencies, I believe a USB 3 is close enough to 2.4 that it causes grief. That's right. So that actually, uh, you may want to, yeah, you may want to uh, not use uh, USB 3 devices if you can avoid it. <laughs> I, I haven't had that issue and I use a few USB three devices, specifically hard drives, uh, on my, on my current setup. And it hasn't, it hasn't been an issue, but I mean, I know it's, it's possible. Uh, yeah. Fun stuff. Hey, uh, I want to talk about our third sponsor for the show. And that is, as I mentioned at the beginning, Otherworld computing at maxsales.com. These folks make some fantastic things. And in fact, as we were talking about USB three, I was reminded of the uh, Thunderbolt dock that I use the Thunderbolt two dock of theirs that I use, which has uh, five USB three ports, which are awesome. Three of them are on the back for kind of more permanent connections Two are on the side, which have uh, uh, they're, they're fully capable USB three ports, but they're also high powered USB three ports. So if you want to charge like your iPad or, or even your iPhone, you know, your iPhone uh, six and certainly the six plus will charge faster on a 2.1 amp uh, circuit, which is what those are. So you got to check that out. If you, if you have a Thunderbolt capable Mac, especially if you have, you know, if you're in that 2011 Mac category where you've got Thunderbolt, but not USB three, that's the way to do it. And OWC's dock is, you know, best in class. It's really fantastic. Uh, especially their Thunderbolt two dock, really good stuff. But even their even their Thunderbolt one dock, which I used um, for a little while was, was fantastic. So you got to check this out. They, this week, told me about something I wasn't aware of at OWC though. And that is that they sell used Macs there. And these Macs are certified by OWC. It's, you know, all on the up and up. Um, but here's the thing. You can start for 575 bucks. You can get a 13 inch MacBook air with eight gigs of Ram and 128 gig SSD. I mean, it, you know, that's a killer price. I started looking at these and I'm thinking, man, you know, I might, this might be the right move for my kids as they need, you know, faster machines and these old MacBook pros that they have. This is a really, really great spot. And, you know, you're getting stuff that Apple might not still be selling on their refurb store, but you're getting it backed by a company that is going to be there for you without question. I mean, OWC, they are obsessive about their customer service. They're obsessive about a lot of things. In fact, technology is one of them. Customer service is another. This is a good mix for people like you and me because we love our technology and we're customers. So it's perfect, right? You got to check out other world computing, um, MacSales.com. Not only do they sell, obviously, the, the Thunderbolt dock I mentioned and, and these, um, these, you know, used and, and kind of refurbished and certified and, and warranted OWC uh, or Apple laptops, but they also sell RAM. I have a ton of RAM from them, which they give a lifetime guarantee on. I have uh, some SSDs from them. I think you do too, John. And they, you know, they just, they're, they're like I said, they're obsessive about two things that really matter to me, technology, getting it right. When something comes back, they don't just ship it back to a manufacturer somewhere in, in, you know, wherever, whatever country they had build it. 
They bring it to their shop here in the U.S. and they look at it and figure out what went wrong so that A, they can fix it for you and B, they can make sure that the next customer doesn't even have the problem to begin with. Really, really obsessive about this stuff, which is awesome. So you got to check them out. Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com. Make sure you let them know that we sent you. They, uh, they again, appreciate knowing where you came from. And we certainly appreciate that, too. And thanks so much to you folks over there at OWC. MaxSales.com. So, John, uh, I did something before the show today. And, and I, I can only take credit for flipping the switch. Uh, but Corey Emdick who has written every version of our Mac geek gab app uh, really took some time recently to rethink the UI for our Mac geek gab iOS app. And he did a fantastic job. Uh, it, it's the best we've had so far. I mean, it, it's not radically different except the one thing that has changed is instead of having menus on the side, we now have menus on the bottom. So it's a whole lot more like iOS 8 and iOS 9 in that respect. Makes it much easier. The menus are always there. Or the options, I should say, are always there because they're just buttons in the, in the bar. Um, it supports handoff now with OS 10 for web links during the show and in the show notes. Um, search functionality to find episodes based on keywords. And we have a lot of data in there. So this is a very cool way to find stuff. And, uh, and there's a iCloud syncing. It supports chapters in both the AAC and the MP3 feed, because we started doing those. And I made another change this morning at Corey's urging. Uh, it, he still gets credit for the idea. I, I made the change. I flipped the switch. Just one minor little change. We changed the way that the app is priced. We changed it from three ninety nine to free. So I'm hoping that makes a lot. And I'm hoping that all of these changes together make everyone happy. I know uh, a lot of you have, have paid for the app and I really appreciate that. Um, we are, we're at a point now where we can make the app free. And so we did that and uh, we'll see how that goes. There is no plan to change that, but of course there's never a plan. We just go with what's right. So you got to check that out. We'll put a link to that in the, uh, in the old show notes too, because that's what keeps it fun here. What else do we have, John? What oh, else man. do we have? <laughs> Ah, looks like the update badge was not working on my iPhone because I I see that I have 55 updates to apply. <laughs> so do you not set your phone to do automatic updates? That is correct. Okay. I, I like to manually um, look through what they're doing before applying the updates. I, I do too. I'm the same way, uh, but I'm pretty obsessive about uh, running updates probably every day. But uh, but I, I mandated that everyone in my family turn on the automatic updates because they're not obsessive about it. And then they'd say, gosh, this isn't really working for me. And it's like, well, you know, how many updates do you have to do? Well, 150. OK, well, mm -hmm. maybe if you had been up to date, you know, things would work a little bit better, you know, with whatever it is. Yeah. The problem you're having. Blame, so blame yeah. the user. <laughs> Always error between the chair and the keyboard, John. Operator, yeah, or, or as we call operator error, right? That's right. That's right. But no, uh, it's weird because my my badge, the the App Store badge, didn't show updates until I just went into the App Store and clicked on the update. Then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you got fifty five, and then the badge turned on. That's very weird. That, yeah, that is Speaking weird. Of, 
Yeah. I don't know why that didn't didn't happen. Yeah. Because yeah, if I see a certain number of updates, I mean, yeah, I've I i do not think I've ever let it get to fifty five. So uh. right, <laughs> right. Hey, so uh, listener Pam wrote in and asked says uh, she says I've got a question about File Vault that I wanted to run past you File Vault two specifically, uh, which is the whole disk encryption and and typically these days when we talk about File Vault we mean File Vault two. Um, Apple just had to distinguish it from the prior thing, which was a little bit of a disaster. But anyway, uh, she continues. We have a client that needs to have file vault two enabled. We're also going to be doing OS upgrades to 10.10 and some machines are getting SSD upgrades as well. A lot of these machines have been migrated a series of times. So we want to do a fresh install on the new SSDs. Not a bad idea. Which would be the best workflow? Should we install the OS, create the user account and then enable file vault two then after file vault two's on install the apps and migrate the user data or should we do the fresh install install the apps migrate the user data and then once all is said and done turn on file vault two is there any speed benefit from turning on file vault two first and then migrating user data obviously at some point all that data will need to be encrypted so maybe the order doesn't really matter the ones getting upgraded are 13 inch macbook pros mid 2012 there's about 10 of them with 250 to 500 gigs of data each None of the machines currently has file vault enabled and are currently running lion mountain lion or Mavericks. So I would definitely choose path number one. And that being enable file vault to as early in the process as you possibly can. The more data that exists on the drive, when you enable it, the longer that file vault to enabling process will take. Now, as far as the speed, you're right. The data does need to be encrypted uh, at some point. However, uh, Ed Marzak from uh, from Mac Tech did a lot of tests. It was about 18 months ago that he did these tests uh, where he compared file read and write speeds with File Vault 2 being enabled and disabled. And he actually found that File Vault 2 machines were very slightly faster than their non File Vault 2 counterparts, specifically at write speeds. And we, t- he and I had a conversation about it, and it, it actually kind of makes sense because with File Vault 2, the OS is going to have to do some caching, right? It's got to take the data, and before it just spits the data to disk, it's got to, you know, encrypt it. And remember, the encryption engine in those machines specifically, in fact, most machines from like 2010 or 2011 and later, it's built into the, to the i-series chipset, either the i5 or the i7. So you're, you're getting hardware encryption happening. It's not doing it in software, but it's going to have to, when it does that encryption, it's going to have to do some caching to make that happen. It's got to store the data somewhere and then sort of asynchronously encrypt it and then write it to disk. And uh, just as a byproduct of the encryption process. And that frees up, you know, the, the, what I would call the interrupt faster, right? Cause it's, it's doing it as two separate things. Ed's tests only showed about a one to 2% speed improvement but they it was consistent across the board you know he thought at first it was just a you know kind of a a, a rounding error if if nothing else but it was pretty consistent so it's certainly not any slower uh so yeah the sooner you get file vault 2 enabled the um the better off you are in that process that's my feeling on it what do you think john at first i was going to say that's crazy talk because i mean encryption involves computation so how could it be faster sure and yes as you pointed out there's a dedicated i believe it's a dedicated aes encryption engine 
inside right. of uh, inside the latest processors. So yeah, I, I could I could see that. Yeah, I, like it's, I said, when he funny first though because said it, yeah, it was a little weird, but yeah. I don't no, know. it's funny because um, because typically what I've done. Yeah, I guess I would agree with with your stand on this is that it probably makes sense to do it as early as possible. The thing is, that's not what I've done. <laughs> sure, because I prefer to make sure that the system is in working order and then enable the encryption. But then, yeah, it takes quite a bit of time for it to get that done. So I guess that would be my only argument against doing it early is, you know, what's more important to you is having the encryption or making sure the system is set up and working properly. So that's kind of my convoluted logic, and no, it it makes sense. I, I mean, you're, I, I do it the other way. Yeah, well, it make right from a troubleshooting standpoint. If something goes wrong, you've turned on, you, you know, you've made wholesale changes. There's no way to narrow it down and say, ah, but wait, it was working before we enabled File Vault. But that said, I don't think we've ever uttered those words until now. The it was working before we enabled File Vault. We have seen no problems with File Vault 2. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not possible that there's something that would be, but really, it's been super rock solid for everybody. It's just one of those things you turn it on and then you forget that it's on. So, that, you know, I, my guess, and, it, and if I was doing 10 machines like Pam's talking about here, I'd, I'd do them in this way. You, you've got to, you know, add some efficiencies to the process, even if that's, um, you know, even if that's potentially throwing the troubleshooting process out the window. So hopefully there's no troubleshooting to be done, right? It's not, we're not it's not, it's not a troubleshooting path. It is an upgrade path. So I don't know. Do we have more time here? I think we do, right? How are we looking here? Yeah, we got time. We'll do, uh, you, you pick the last one, John, any of the, uh, any of the ones left on the, the, the agenda, Despite us not really having an agenda in the morning. Um, no, let's go in order. All right. Uh, I think we're, we're, we're okay with that. All right. So we'll go to, I believe we pronounce his name, Terry, T-H-I-E-R-R-Y. My apologies if I've mispronounced your name, Terry. Uh, I haven't written you in a long time because I haven't been listening to your podcast for a long time. Uh, why out of frustration? You see, I went through some hard times financially these last few years and haven't been able to update my old 2007 iMac. Uh, after a while, you guys had upgraded and I hadn't, and thus was not able to keep up. So I was frustrated, which is sort of ironic because I think in the period of time when you weren't listening, I talked about how I have repurposed a bunch of 2007 iMacs with SSD drives that we now use every day at the house, because with those SSDs, which are even cheaper now than when we did it a couple of years ago, uh, they just work great. It's really quite something. Anyway, continuing on, Terry says a month ago, I got myself a brand new MacBook pro with 16 gigs of Ram and an SSD. I'm ecstatic. I bet you are. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so I started listening to again. Uh, if you don't mind, I have a couple of questions. Of course we don't mind. While tinkering with my magic mounts, my magic mouse, I did something and the line between the columns in the finder column view went from a single line between columns, which you can select anywhere to resize to a double line with handles at the bottom, which I don't want. I spent an hour searching preferences and the internet, but cannot for the life of me find anything on how to get my single line back. Um, 
So let's answer that question. So I, this is one of those, it, it, we didn't get a screenshot on this, so it was hard to follow this description. But I think what happened is two of the columns got pushed right up next to each other. So here's the thing. Float over, if, assuming that's, that's what we're describing here. If you float over the column separator and double click on it, it will actually resize that column to be the width that it needs to be for whatever is in that particular view. And you can do this even if you're not having a problem with them being squished together, it can be handy if you've got, you know, if you want to narrow down a window, you can just double tap on the separator and it shrinks down the column so that it fits everything that's there and nothing more. It, it takes out the white space uh, or the extra padding, I should say. Very, very handy. Uh, Brian Monroe in the chat room is telling me that we can right click those two, which is uh, very interesting and change what they are so uh that's well that's pretty cool or change add add or, or remove columns that's pretty cool i had no idea it's good stuff what do you think john any thoughts i got more stuff well oh. for a problem like this i would say the best place to look dave and possibly to fix this is if you go into the view menu I see actually one setting here, column view auto width. I'm wondering if... Uh... Wait, where is that? Yeah. V v v oh, you know, I'm running Total Finder. Maybe that is... Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, man, I don't Finder. have that. <laughs> yeah. Really, you don't? No. All right, so column view oh. auto width is not an option in the regular Finder. No, sir. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not running Total right. Finder on this machine up here in the studio. That's right. Yep. Yeah, you know, I'm sad because apparently uh, my understanding at this point is that Total Finder, because uh, of the changes in uh, El Capitan, uh, apparently uh, he's probably not going to be developing it because they're making huh. changes underneath the covers that is going to make it uh, a big pain in the neck for him to, to upgrade it. So that's sad. Right, right. It, added a lot of nice, it, it adds a lot of nice features to the, uh, to the Finder. Uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The only other place I would say is that uh, you know, for problems like this, uh, show view options. You know, you may may see a tidbit in there that can undo whatever you did. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. Okay. Or run or run Total Finder. <laughs> well, yeah, for now, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hmm. 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 That's all I got for that. Ah. Uh, well. Yeah. That's what uh, that's what I have too, I think. And I think that's where we gotta we gotta wrap things up here. And I gotta find the uh, there Band. we are. I knew I knew they were there somewhere. Oh, look at this! What's oh, that? you probably got this message too. I, I just I just saw my iPhone here. Happy Twitterversary! Today's my Twitterversary. Oh, nice! Thanks for thanks for being a part since two thousand eight. Wow! Yeah, well, you and I—I uh, I remember you and I started up uh, at pretty much the same time. No, no, no! Right? You, you know, you were you were because I I convinced you to start tweeting at when we were at Podcast Expo in Vegas, and I had started way before that. Yeah, you, you that. started. In, um, oh, okay. At like South by Southwest, I think was where I started. Oh, oh, right. Year. Well, I think that's. Yeah, that that was the, the the cool kids they introduced to it first. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's a good question though. 
first. When did you join Twitter? Uh, I don't know. How long on Twitter? There's TWOP charts. Yeah, I do. I mean, I ignore those. Um, TWOP charts. 18th of September, 2007. That's when I joined Twitter. Sweet. And Dave, speaking of Twitter, that's one way you can get in touch with us. It is. So, I'm going to kind of go out of order here, but um, on the Twitters, I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. The other guy who is in the air somewhere, no doubt, is Pilot Pete. The podcast is Mac Geekab, and the publication is Mac Observer. All on the Twitters. All on the Twitters. Hey, you can email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com if you want to send us anything. Comments, screenshots, questions, whatever it is, we're here for you. And if you didn't hear him, because uh, if you didn't hear Dave say that because his uh, uh, soundboard melted down, that's <laughs> feedback at macgeekgab.com. You said feedback at macgeekgab.com, right? Well, there's that, Un- unless uh, you're a premium member, which we love our premium members. Um, where-, where can you find out about premium, Dave? MacGeekGab.com is the place to do it. Premium was created actually at your request. Um, we had many of you that wanted to do a little more to help support the show. And, uh, and so that's where premium was born. You can contribute either a one-time uh, contribution or uh, you can sign up and have it take either 10 bucks a month, or if you want to do a little less, you can do, um, I think it's 25 bucks every six months is what we have it set up with. So either one of those, you can check it all out at uh, MacGeekGab.com. And then each year, those folks that have hit the $100 tier, you don't have to hit it in the year, though if you're doing 10 bucks a month, you will. Uh, all are eligible for... Uh, whatever the gift is this year it was a mug last year it was a water bottle we will do something next year that doesn't involve carting or storing liquids at least not (laughs) not its intended use case because of course pretty much anything can store liquid including a macbook pro but uh not in a good way or a mixer how about a how about a drone a drone Man. could store liquid. So, yeah, it's off the list, unfortunately. Oh. It's too bad. You can Darn. email. You can call us, though, at 206-666-GEEKS. Send us your ideas for what you think a cool little, you know, tchotchke kind of thing. Uh, sw- MGG swag could be. I think maybe we should do, um, you know, matching bobblehead dolls, John. That's, well, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> 206-666-GEEK is the number to call. Geek, John, is... Forty-three thirty-five. That it is. I want to thank the folks at Cashfly for, well, all the bandwidth for all the years. They're the ones that populate the show everywhere and just make sure it's close to you when you need it. So thanks so much to those folks. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. The podcast marketplace includes all kinds of great things. Gazelle at gazelle.com. Tunnelbear at tunnelbear.com. iMazing. Actually, tunnelbear.com slash MGG. iMazing. Of course, great software for managing your phone and all of that good stuff. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Linda, as we mentioned, at lynda.com slash MGG. All other world computing at maxsales.com. And barebones software at barebones.com. We have 
an awesome list of sponsors. I use every one of them. That's awesome. It's killer. I love it. Hey, John, you got something to share to the, uh, to the folks here? I think I do, Dave, is don't be like me with my audio setup because you know what happened, Dave, is I almost got caught. Made up. 